my ladies. I'm excited to see you all here again. It's going to, I, so I, everybody, you know, we always talk about where we're coming from. I always have to tell you where I'm at. So I am uh, in Joliet, Illinois, outside of Chicago. And uh, tomorrow I, or Thursday at the latest, I will be heading home. So I get to be home for a few days. Yay. Um, all right. So I'm going to jump in. Um, I don't know how many of you had an opportunity to go through some of the assignments to prepare for this week. I'm trying to make those assignments less because the things following up from the week we're doing uh, are there's so many great things that I <laughs> have you kind of overloaded. Um, and don't feel bad if you can't get to any of those things. It's not a problem. I just put it in there. So if you have time and you want to read, you want to learn more, um, you want to have access to these links, Hannah will send them out. So it's it's totally up to you. We want to make it available. And there's there's no you're a bad person if you're if you're not um, doing all of those things. Uh, and again, when you're in a home setting, it makes it a lot easier because what happens is after you, we send the home assignment or whatever those follow-up things are, then when you meet in the next meeting, you sit around and you talk about, okay, the home assignment, how did it go? What did, what did you guys learn? What did you do? And um, obviously in, in this setting, it makes it a little bit difficult, but in a home setting, it, it totally, it, it totally works. So, and anybody can do it. As you know, I'm sitting here doing it. Anywhere I am, it just works. Zoom is the magic thing. My one regret of 2020 is that I did not invest in Zoom in 2019. So, <laughs> all right, we are going to jump into the presentation today, which is um, the power of a story. Uh, one of my favorite ones. I say that every time I know, but this whole entire cottage meeting resource guide and all these cottage meetings. I mean, this was, these were the things that inspired me and I, we just packaged them all together. Um, all the other uh, moms who contributed, it was what inspired them, the experiences that they had and all in this beautiful little book and program. So that's why I say every time it's like, these are my favorites. Oh, this is one of my favorites. Oh, this is my favorite. <laughs> um, okay. So we are going to jump in and with this quote, the destiny of the world is determined less by the battles that are lost and won than by the stories it loves and believes in. I cannot even begin to tell you how true this statement is. And we're going to jump right into uh, the video here. During World War I, the French bravely fought back the invading Germans for four brutal years. 20 years later, in World War II, France fell to Nazi Germany in just six weeks. What changed? Much of the blame was placed squarely on the shoulders of teachers unions who in a spirit of pacifism and internationalism had purged all of the school books of the stories of courage and self-sacrifice of the fallen heroes. Instead, the children were bombarded with stories of horrors of war and the suffering of French and German alike. Since the beginning of time and across the globe, stories have been the most effective means of passing values and traditions from generation to generation. As the old Indian proverb states, tell me a fact and I will learn. Tell me a truth and I will believe, but tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. Even Jesus understood this principle. In the short three years that he had to teach people, he did it through stories. And now those stories live on in the hearts and minds of our children. Even those who don't read the Bible know the golden rule. Information goes to the brain, but stories travel directly to the heart. And it's our heart that inspires our thoughts and directs our actions. I know a lot of parents think their children are learning history in school, but the history they're learning is full of tedious dates and faceless names. It's not the inspiring, heart-changing stories that were once told in America's classrooms, preached by pastors or read by moms and dads at the fireside. No, our story has unfortunately greatly changed. C. Bradley Thompson, a professor of history and political science at Ashland University, has spent several years studying the history and textbooks in America's schools. He states, the American pageant was a grand story of epic scale and heroic accomplishment. In short, the history of America was the history of freedom. However, American history is something very different today. 
He went on to say that today our children are being taught the colonization of America represents the greatest act of genocide in world history, that the founding fathers were racist, sexist, classist, homophobic, Eurocentric bigots, and that hidden in the closets of most white Americans is a white robe and a hood. I've read the textbooks, and I assure you, he is not exaggerating. Professor Thompson concludes, by debunking the principles and great deeds of the American past, and by dethroning our most cherished heroes, we are destroying in our youth the natural reverence and patriotic attachment that is vital to the health of our country. A nation that hates itself, he continues, cannot last. Robert McAfee Brown professes, storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world today. So just what is a story? First, let me tell you what a story is not. Richard Montgomery was born December 2nd, 1783, an Irish-born soldier who first served in the British Army. He later became a Brigadier General in the Continental Army during the American Revolutionary War. And he is most famous for leading the failed 1775 invasion of Canada. Okay, again, that's not a story, but unfortunately, it's what we're getting in school. This, this is a story. General Montgomery was ordered to assemble his forces at a point on Lake Champlain. He was a man of great military experience for his years, full of gifts, graces, and accomplishments, one of the most admired and beloved of the revolutionary heroes. The order to take charge of the Canadian expedition reached him in his beautiful home on the banks of the Hudson where with his young wife, whom he tenderly loved, had settled hoping for quiet years of domestic happiness and a home adorned with every refinement. But Montgomery loved honor more than life and liberty more than happiness. He obeyed the call of his country. I wish I had the time to tell you the whole story of General Montgomery about the capture of Quebec, the textbooks labeled as a failure. But what I can tell you is Quebec was one of the strongest fortifications in all of America, in artillery, men, and location. It was virtually impenetrable. I'd like to tell you about the 300 men led by this young general who went up against Quebec much like the Spartans of old. They suffered rigid cold temperatures, fatigue, illness, and death, but they courageously stood their ground in spite of extreme hardships. In the midst of these brutal conditions, Robert Montgomery often thought of his peaceful home in the beautiful hills and his loving wife sitting in her loneliness there. He would have bartered all the glory he had won for one hour at that hearthstone. Should he ever see it again? When General Montgomery gave his life for his country, there was much sadness amongst his fellow patriots. It was said of him in all the records of ancient or modern valor, I have read nothing equal to this. Washington bewailed his loss, for he loved him as a brother. All over the land, men wept as for a heart friend. Congress, desiring to transmit to future ages an example of patriotism, boldness of enterprise, and contempt of danger and death, reared a monument of marble to the glory of Richard Montgomery. But the bitterest tears were shed in that pleasant home amid the hills of Hudson. A grief was there for which earth had no balm, for Montgomery's wife took no other love in his stead. Robert Montgomery gave his life to win for us those civil and religious liberties which have made our country the glory of all lands. The hero keeps his quiet, unbroken slumber in the graveyard of St. Paul's Church, New York, just a step aside from Broadway, of all the busy, tolling, hurrying millions that yearly pass and repass above the sacred dust, how many pause to lay upon his grave the chaplet of a grateful memory. I had never heard of Robert Montgomery until I read this story, but after reading it, I had a burning desire to go to New York City and see the monument of this great man, the hero who no one knows. Do you remember the proverb, as a man thinketh? The proverb does not say, as a man thinketh, so is he. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Imagine if we spent a little time reading stories like Robert Montgomery to our children. What a difference it would make. We may tell our children to have courage, but the concept of courage will mean nothing until we show them what it looks like. The story is the most powerful motivator on the planet, 
Every war, every conflict, every action can be traced to the belief in a story for good or for evil. If the story of America, of freedom itself, lives on, it will be because we are sharing the story with our children. We have an entire library of these stories we recommend. Many are found at Libraries of Hope. They are stories written in the golden age of literature when authors wrote to instill a love of liberty, virtue, faith, and patriotism. I have read the entire Freedom series to our children at the end of the Stories of Columbus by Elbridge S. Brooks. There is a quote that has lingered in my heart. Happier than any fairy tale, more marvelous than any wonder book, the story of the United States of America begins once upon a time and has come to the point where it depends upon the boys and girls who read it to say whether or not they shall live happily ever after. America's future will be determined by the stories we love and believe in. If we have failed to tell our children the stories of what made America the light and hope of the world, then the battle for our freedom will be lost and the story we'll be telling our children is what it once was like in America when we used to be free. Never underestimate the power of a story. Stories can save our nation. So um, that kind of sums up the whole entire presentation. Thank you for coming today. <laughs> um, so I, um, I just wanted to share some of these stories with you today. The stories that used to be in the, in the school books and that our children grew up on. And I can tell you that during that time, the, the time when authors wrote for that purpose of instilling those, those values, it was known as the golden age of literature. And what it led to when these children were reading these books, it was the late 1800s, early 1900s. And those stories that those mothers told that teachers read from the classrooms that they heard throughout the country that led to the greatest generation. And they went and they fought for those freedoms and those values that they read about because they knew what courage looked like. They understood what patriotism was. They knew that freedom was a value that they wanted to preserve and protect because they read the stories about those things. And when France's story changed, the way that the French people um, understood and believed in their country and, and war, it changed. There is, um, there is a story that changed my life. And it's the reason why my youngest son is named Ethan. <laughs> so you guys all know Ethan Allen, right? The furniture store. Well, it's actually a real dude. Um, <laughs> His, his name, I, I don't know, I, Ethan Allen, the company, it, it is uh, headquartered in Vermont. So I'm assuming they, that they took it after, after his name. So this story was in a, in a children's book. We have a, a, a series in the Freedom Series, of course. And one of the ones that we promote through the Hostess Kit and online is the Mara Pratt American History Stories. And it has all four volumes in the book and this story isn't it? And this is, these are the kind of stories that our children um, used to grow up on. And now they aren't. In Vermont, called the Green Mountain State, the men had formed themselves into a company under their Colonel Ethan Allen and called themselves the Green Mountain Boys. On the morning of the very day of the meeting of Congress that made George Washington commander in chief, Ethan Allen with a detachment of these volunteers set out to surprise Fort Ticonderoga. Entering the fort in the night, Ethan Allen went straight to the commander's quarters and in a voice like thunder, so his followers say, demanded the instant surrender of the fort. The commander, frightened and only half-dressed, threw open his door saying, by whose authority do you? But Ethan Allen broke in upon him and said, in the name of the great Jehovah and the Continental Congress, I do command you to surrender this fort. No resistance was attempted. And so a large quantity of cannon and ammunition, which the English had stored there, and which just then was so much needed by the troops at Boston, fell into the hands of the Americans without the loss of a single man. Now, I want you to know that uh, while a lot of people will say that um, it's just a story, it was a story that was so heartfelt in the, in the minds and hearts of the American people that the photo of this story 
is in the National Archives. This isn't the one in the National Archives. Uh, it's just the one that worked better in my presentation. <laughs> but this painting is in the National Archives and the story resonated. Now, I, I was moved by this story to the point where I started an organization called Moms for America. And uh, my son, Ethan, um, is, is Ethan Joshua, not Ethan Allen. Uh, Joshua is another one of my great heroes. And my youngest son is named after two of those heroes. And I told him that. I told him why his, told him why his name is what it is. I told him the story behind the name. And, and that kind of story also, it, it causes them to lift up to the, to the memory and, and the life of the people that he's, he's representing. I tell my children all the time, you will wear multiple names. And when you walk out in the world, people are going to look at you and those names that you represent are going to be held by the standard that you set. So when somebody comes and knocks at our door and says, are you the Fletchers or are you the Fletchers? It could be because of you. <laughs> so these kind of stories, when they understand what good looks like, what courage looks like, what patriotism looks like, then they want to emulate those things. So um, I had a couple interesting experiences. I used to tell this story all over the place when I first found this story in, in the early 2000s. And I was speaking at an event in 2004. I think it was, to a group of businessmen in a local area in Ohio. And I told the story. And one of the gentlemen came up afterwards and he said, because I said, they don't even tell this story anymore. Our children aren't hearing this story. And he came up to me and he said, well, I heard this story in school. And I said, you did? That's fantastic. And he, and I said, well, well, what, what, what did you learn about it? And he said, well, the same thing. You know, they, they came in and they, um, you know, stormed the fort in the middle of the night and they left with the munitions and then they took them back to uh, George Washington's army. And it's like everything except the God thing. And I said, but sir, God is the story. <laughs> and he's like, whatever, and walks away. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to let them get that, that get me down. And so for 20 years, I have been telling this story everywhere I, I go. It's like, let me tell you one of my favorite stories. Well, my husband and I went on a trip last year to New Hampshire, and um, I realized that Fort Ticonderoga was just a six-hour drive away. And he's like, <laughs> like, we have to go. We have to go. <laughs> so we went. We drove, and it just happened to be homeschool days. And there were homeschoolers all over the place. And I, I kept hearing the buzz from these moms. And they'd be like, well, when did you start homeschooling? Well, 2020. Well, um, why did you still keep homeschooling? Well, because I realized after 2020 and I'm homeschooling my kids, I can do this and I can do it better. <laughs> and so they're all having these little buzz conversations. And, and, and they're like, yeah, and we get to come to places like this. And we learn about America's history and our heritage. And they're just, just having a great old time. And so there was this... Um, they had these different uh, timetables during the day when you could do different things. And one of them was a tour, a guided tour by someone in a period costume. And so I looked at my husband and he goes, I know we're doing that. <laughs> so we went over to the, to where the, um, the, the fort was being uh, set up for the, for the tour. And the gentleman came in and he started talking about Fort Ticonderoga. It all started out so good. And, you know, he's just telling about this whole history about when it started and when everything got going. And, and, and he said, but by the time, um, you know, the, the, the time of the Revolutionary War, there really wasn't anybody left at the fort. It was just a small group of people. And, you know, then, then rolls in that whole story about Ethan Allen. And as the story goes, and he, he repeated the story as I told you. And he goes, but it's just a story. What really happened is Ethan Allen came into the fort like a madman. And everybody said he was just crazed going from door to door saying, kill them all, kill them all. And it was actually Benedict Arnold who negotiated the surrender of the fort because he was a an officer and much more distinguished and had the ability to communicate well. And if it weren't for him, we wouldn't have those munitions. And the only reason why this story exists is because, you know, Ethan Allen didn't do anything else in the Revolutionary War. That was his whole claim to fame. And he ended up going into public office and in the end of his years, he decided to write memoirs because he wanted to make himself look good. That's the only reason the story exists. 
I would like to say that my heart sank, but really what happened is I went over and punched the guy in the face. No, I was so upset. I was like, are you kidding me right now? And so I, I went up to him after the tour and I said, sir, where'd you get your information from? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, listen, if, if you have another side of the story, um, I'd love to hear it. And if there is another side of the story, if there's someone during that time period that had another side of the story or alternate, all, uh, several different sides of the story, great. I would love to see them. And if there are, and let's say that there, there are two alternating stories, two completely different stories, one from the British standpoint or Bernadette, Benedict Arnold's, one from uh, Ethan Allen's standpoint, and, and you put them together, were you there? Well, no. Okay. Well, then why couldn't we just say, these are the two stories. We're not really sure which one is true, but the way it usually happens is it's a little piece of both, but it's a great, you know, th these are the people that lived at the time. So this, these are the stories uh, that they told. I mean, they lived there. Let's do that. And he said, listen, I'm just paid to do this. And they give me the script to speak. And I was just brokenhearted. That's when I was brokenhearted. And so uh, what did I do? I went home and I pouted. And no, I didn't. I went to the office and I asked for who it is that I contact who manages this facility and who decides what's spoken at these tours. They hesitantly gave me the contact information and I then wrote them a nice little note. And I said, I would really like to um, receive the material that you have that provides the story that you tell on the tour. Well, first I got crickets, and when I didn't give up, I finally got a response. We don't know. Somebody just writes the script. There is a gentleman that stands outside of Plymouth Rock. He used to stand right at Plymouth Rock as people were coming by and telling the story of the pilgrims, the true story of the pilgrims, and what it was like when they came over and the sacrifices that they made. Well, the park got so irritated by this guy going around and telling these stories that they gave him a distance that he has to be from Plymouth. He has to tell his stories within like it's like 250 feet away from Plymouth Rock or something like that. And he has a website. It's online, and I tried to find it for this class, and I, I know I have it somewhere, but I will find it, and I will get it to Hannah. But he, it's still him telling the story of, of Plymouth Rock. Of course, we saw it in Monumental, but seeing this man and how he created a website, and he spent so much time making sure to preserve these stories, I just thought it was absolutely uh, amazing. And what happens when we lose him? What happens when we lose people who understand the story, who are willing to tell the story, and who care? We have to become the storytellers, and that means we have to know the story ourselves. Um, so, Michael Margulis said, the stories we tell literally make the world. And if you want to change the world, you need to change your story. And that's what they're doing. They're literally changing our story. Who's the they? My mom and I talk about this all the time, the they in air quotes. Um, it is a very small group of international bankers and people who want to destroy the the, the country and uh, be the new leaders of the whole world. And I just think it's kind of funny because what about all the other despots around the world? Do you think they're just going to step aside and go, okay, you can now be the dictator of the world? Whatever. Anyway, the people who, who are um, purposely working to destroy the republic and dismantle the constitution, that's the they. And we don't necessarily know who they are by name. I know some of them, but they're out there. They're a very small group of people that are changing our story. And as crazy as it sounds and as kooky as you might think I am, the communists are largely behind this. And that's what they do. They change the story. And they openly said that that's what they were going to do to destroy America, not from without, from without, but from within. Robert McAfee Brown said, storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world. And Terry Pratchett, I love this one. People think that stories are shaped by people. In fact, it's the other way around. That is such a true statement. Um, so my mom has to go. So I'm going to read 
my story and then I'm going to um, jump in and we'll read her story. Um, so this one, it's not just a great story. It's a great story that teaches character. It helps you understand the character of George Washington and it helps you understand why it is that we need to emulate his character instead of the other in the story. During the revolution, George Washington was one day riding by a group of soldiers who did not know him. They were busily engaged in raising a beam to the top of some military works. It was a difficult task and often the corporal's voice could be heard shouting, now you have it and all righty, pull men. Washington quietly asked the corporal, why didn't he help them? Sir, the corporal angrily replied, do you not realize that I am a corporal? Washington politely raised his hat saying, oh, I did not realize it. Beg your pardon, Mr. Corporal. Then dismounting his horse, General Washington himself fell to work and helped the men until the beam was raised. Before leaving, he turned to the corporal and wiping the perspiration from his face said, if ever you need assistance like this again, call upon Washington, your commander in chief, and I will come. The confused corporal turned red and then white, as he realized that this was Washington himself, to whom he had been so pompous, and we hope he learned a lesson of true greatness. Um, Mom, would you like to read the story of Thomas Jefferson? I would love to read the story of Thomas Jefferson, and I need to let you know it's been taken care of. I don't have to go. Oh, good. Okay. <clears throat> the Landlord's Mistake. When John Adams was president and Thomas Jefferson was vice president of the United States, there was not a railroad in all the world. People did not travel very much. There were no broad, smooth highways as there are now. <clears throat> the roads were crooked and muddy and rough. If a man was obliged to go from one city to another, he often rode on horseback. Instead of a trunk for his clothing, he carried a pair of saddlebags. Instead of sitting at his ease in a parlor car, he went jolting along through mud and mire, exposed to the wind and the weather. One day, some men were sitting by the door of a hotel in Baltimore. As they looked down the street, they saw a horseman coming. He was riding very slowly, and both he and his horse were bespattered with mud. Here comes old Farmer Moss back, said one of the men laughing. He's just in from the backwoods. He seems to have had a hard time of it, said another. I wonder where he'll put up for the night. Oh, any kind of place will suit him, answered the landlord. That's one of those country fellows who can sleep in the hay and eat with the horses. The traveler was soon at the door. He was dressed plainly with his reddish brown hair and mud spattered face. Looked like a hardworking countryman just in from the backwoods. <clears throat> Have you a room here for me? He asked the landlord. Now the landlord prided himself upon keeping a first-class hotel and he feared that his guests would not like the rough-looking traveler. So he answered, no, every room is full. The only place I could put you would be in the barn. Well then, answered the stranger, I will see what they can do for me at the planter's tavern around the corner. And he rode away. About an hour later, a well-dressed gentleman came into the hotel and said, I wish to see Thomas Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson, said the landlord. Yes, Thomas Jefferson, the vice president of the United States. He isn't here. Oh, but he must be. I met him as he was riding along the road into town, and he said that he intended to stop at this hotel. He has been here about an hour. No, he hasn't. The only man that has been here for lodging today was an old clodhopper who was so spattered with mud that you couldn't see the color of his coat. 
I sent him round to the planters. Did he have reddish brown hair and did he ride a gray horse? Yes, he was quite tall. That was Mr. Jefferson, said the gentleman. Mr. Jefferson, cried the landlord. Was that the vice president here? Dick, build a fire in the best room. Put everything in tip-top order, Sally. What a dunce I was to turn Mr. Jefferson away. He shall have all the rooms in the house and the ladies' parlor, too. I'll go right around the corner to the planters and fetch him back. So he went to the other hotel, where he found the vice president sitting with some friends in the parlor. Mr. Jefferson, he said, I have come to ask your pardon. You were so bespattered with mud that I thought you were some old farmer. If you'll come back to my house, you shall have the best room in it. Yes, all the rooms, if you wish. Won't you come? No, answered Mr. Jefferson. A farmer is as good as any other man. And where there's no room for a farmer, there can be no room for me. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Thank you, Mama. Um, we had a, a little bit of a trek hunting that book down yesterday in that story, but we got it. Um, that story also comes from the Freedom Series that Libraries of Hope carries. We don't carry all of the Freedom Series books in our store, but we do have the Mar Pratt, and you can go on Libraries of Hope and see their whole entire series. They have it in, in history, science, world history. Um, amazing. You can travel the whole entire world in these beautiful books. So the power of a story, something that um, we say a lot at Moms for America, but what does that really mean? There is, um, there's, there's so many, there are so many stories out there that, that I've read to my children. And I always, you know, well, I'll ask them sometimes, you know, what, what is your favorite story? What is the one that touched you? And I can tell when they answer the question and who they've become and the things that they're interested in, it's largely because of the stories that touched their hearts. So you can, literally move people in a certain direction it's you can dump information into people's brains dates times tedious information but that's just you pass a test and you move on but when you can tell a story and touch a heart then their mind opens and wants to know more that's why i'm still here that's why i do what i do because of the stories that touched me it's not just what i know it's who i've become and and that me, that helps me to be able to just roll these stories and these quotes right off my tongue. It's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. It's because it's touched me so deeply that it has penetrated my heart and my soul. And it causes me to want to be a better person, to be a better mom, to be a better wife, to be a better citizen. I just want to be better at everything. I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to be someone who follows Christ. I, I just, I think all of those things, the stories that we tell, we hear and we share, and it doesn't just have to be a story about America. When I ask my kids, what is your favorite story? Almost every one of them, almost every time will say the story of my birth because I've told them the story of their birth and they each have a very unique story. And my mom, she wrote all these stories about when she was a child growing up and what it was like. And my children loved reading about that. And they'd, they'd go and ask her questions. And, you know, they don't understand that life. There's so many stories that we have that we can tell that connect us as a family and, and connect us as a nation, national family. And they make a difference. There, um, there are great stories that are um, fairy tales, even. I absolutely love fairy tales. And... Um, this was a photo shoot that we did when we were in uh, Hawaii. We had a bunch of our friends got together and we did all these various fairy tale photo shoots. And I just love this Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling quote. If history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. It's why fairy tales are, are so um, penetrate kids and why they want to keep reading them. One of my... Um, Another one of my favorite stories is A Miracle at Boston. 
and um, I, I'm just going to uh, read this one. In October, uh, in October 1746, French Duke of Anville sailed for New England, commanding the most powerful fleet of the time. He had 70 ships with 13,000 troops. In fact, it was the largest fleet ever to be sighted from American soil. They started for Boston. The Duke intended that they, that they avenge themselves for the loss they had suffered in Lewisburg. They planned to recapture Lewisburg, Nova Scotia, and destroy all English colonies from Boston to Georgia. The situation was bleak for the colonists. They had no chance of matching the power of the huge fleet on their own. Massachusetts Governor William Shirley gathered all the men, ammunitions, and supplies he could find. He then turned, to the, situ turned the situation over to the Lord by declaring the 16th of October, 1746, a universal day of fasting. He would have everyone pray and fast for deliverance. Everywhere men observed it, thronging to the churches in Boston, the Reverend Thomas Prince from the high pulpit of the Old South Meeting House prayed before hundreds. The morning was clear and calm. People had walked to church through sunshine. Deliver us from our enemy, the minister implored. Send the tempest, Lord, upon the waters to the eastward. Raise thy right hand. Scatter the ships of our tormentors and drive them hence. Sink their proud frigates beneath the power of thy winds. He had scarcely pronounced the words when the sun was gone and the morning darkened. All the church was in a shadow. A wind shrieked around the walls sudden violent hammering at the windows with a giant hand like a giant hand no man was in the steeple afterward the sexton swore it yet the great bell struck twice a wild even sound uneven sound thomas prince paused in his prayer both arms raised we hear thy voice O lord he thundered triumphantly we hear it thy breath is upon the waters to the eastward even upon the deep thy bell tolls for the death of our enemies he bowed his head and he looked up tears streamed down his face thine be the glory lord amen and amen all the province heard of this prayer and this answering tempest governor shirley sent a sloop the rising sun northward for the news she brought news so good it was miraculous if one could believe it the whole fleet was nearly lost and the men very sick with scurvy or some pestennial fever. Their great admiral, the Duke Anvil, was dead. A week later, the news was confirmed by other vessels entering Boston from the north, from northeastward. Danville was indeed dead. It was said he had poisoned himself in grief and despair when he saw his men dying around him. 2,000 were already buried, 4,000 were sick, and not above a 1,000 of the land forces remained of their fleet. Vice Admiral d'Estrenal had run himself through the heart with his sword. The few remaining ships, half manned, were limping off to the southwestward, headed, it was thought, for the West Indies. Pestilent storm and sudden death, how directly and with what extraordinary vigor the Lord had answered the New England prayers. The country fell on its knees. A paper with the Anvil's orders had been found instructing him to take Cape Breton Island, then proceed to Boston to lay, to lay that town in ashes and destroy all he could upon the coast of North America, then proceed to the West Indies and distress the islands. Ten-year-old John Adams was in the church this famous prayer, during this famous prayer, and later declared, that day I became a patriot. Three of my um, favorite quotes about storytelling. Tim O'Brien, storytelling is the essential human activity. The harder the situation, the more essential it is. Just think about the stories in the Bible that we learn. I, I remember when pioneers, hearing the story of pioneers going out west and taking the Bible and, and um, collections of stories like these that they could share with their children so that they could learn from the mistakes of others instead of repeating them themselves. Brandon Sanderson said the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon. And Johann Goethe, the great writer, 
The decline of literature, he said, indicates the decline of a nation. I think that we uh, definitely have a decline of literature in our country, and it is up to us to find those great books and stories that we can collect in our own homes and libraries, so that when the zombie apocalypse happens, we have something good to read to help us through the difficult times. <laughs> Another um, final thought here. Um, Noah Webster, every child in America should be acquainted with his own country. He should read books that furnish him in life and practice. As soon as he opens his lips, he should rehearse the history of his own country. I have a friend. Um, she wrote the book, uh, Lost Forgotten Stories. And it's kind of like the Cottage Mini Resource Guide for Families for Kids. And it has 12 different uh, sections, just like the um, Cottage Mini Resource Guide. And it's all about um, people coming to America and constitutional principles and freedom taught in a really fun, engaging way. And schools are even using this book because it has vocabulary and, and activities that the kids can do. Highly, highly recommend this book. The story of how this book even came to be is the most fascinating story of all. This mama's young son, 13 years old, when she realized she was losing him. He started to become introverted, spending more time in his room, not wanting to talk to people, disconnecting from things that he used to love, started wearing um, dark clothes and keeping his room dark. And she was extremely concerned. And so one day she got on her knees and she asked the great power above who knows her son more than she what do I do for this boy? I am going to lose my son. What do I do? And she felt the Lord answer her that she should homeschool him. And she's like, I don't know anything about that. But she lived in an area where they had a lot of um, co-ops and they had a Liberty Leadership Co-op that she joined. And within six months, her son had the the windows open, the lights on, was vibrant, was happy and talking about all these exciting things he was learning. And I said, what, what was this co-op about? What, what made the difference? Was it the kids in the school? Was it the, she said, it was the stories. That co-op talked about America the history of America, the great battles, the hate, the heroes and patriots that fought so hard and sacrificed so much. Up until that time, all he'd been taught is you're a white boy. You are the worst of the worst. America's terrible. It's, we are killing the planet. Nothing's going to save it. Um, America's the worst country on earth. I mean, over and over again. And then in six months, he saw hope something better. Well, after he went to these, this co-op for two years, he decided to go back to school and his mom was terrified. What am I going to do? And he said, it's okay, mom, it'll be okay. And he went back to school and he started a Patriot club where they taught the constitution and stories of the founding fathers I actually found a teacher who would, who would um, sponsor the class. He graduated from school and he decided he wanted to go to the military academy. I don't remember which one. And he had several letters from members of Congress endorsing him. And he went and graduated with honors from a military academy. Now has a family, children, a beautiful wife. And he goes and tells the story of America because he said it changed his life. This is the power of a story. And... With that, <clears throat> oh, why aren't you working? Sorry, there we go. This is the power that we have, the power of a story. When the world is in chaos and not able to locate its identity, it's the storytellers that bring it back to center because storytellers are the keepers of the culture. That's exactly what happened in Hawaii. If you know the story of Hawaii, my family was able to go there 
and we lived there for three years and a few years back and there's a place on the north shore called the polynesian cultural center and it has it's like a theme park with all the different islands from tanisha to uh tanisha <laughs> tahiti to um uh new zealand all the different islands that you can go and visit tonga samoa and they all have their own unique attributes that they share. In New Zealand, you get the whole cool dancing thing. You see that boop, boop, boop. Anyway, cool stuff. Great place to go. If you ever go to Hawaii, highly recommend it on the island of Oahu, North Shore. Anyway, um, there is also the Hawaii Island at the park. Well, we lived on Hawaii, so we always walked past that one. Until one day we were walking past and one of those crazy rainstorms that come out of nowhere hit us. And they had this nice big hut of shelter. So we went in, sat down, and God opened my heart once again. What I learned was the story of the hula. The hula is something that we recognize with the, 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 the palm trees, the grass skirts, the, the, the swing and dancing. And, and that's actually Tahiti. That's actually not Hawaii. Um, Hawaii, they wore these, these sarongs, these flowery dresses, and they had these beautiful, soft movements. And it was how they preserved their language. It wasn't just a dance. It was how they preserved their history, their culture, their language. They didn't have a written language. The hula is how they preserved it and carried it on. Well, when the Christian missionaries came to Hawaii and converted the queen, she decided that the hula was a pagan ritual that needed to be wiped off the planet. And so she made it illegal. And if you know how monarchs work, when the monarch says things are illegal, you do not go against the rules. So the hula disappeared for generations. And a few decades later, a new monarch was on the phone, uh, on the throne. And he was the first monarch, a king, who ever left to Hawaii to go and travel the world. And he went to Europe. And he went to Spain and France and England and Germany. And he was seeing the beautiful, rich, very unique culture of each one of these countries. And as he's sitting there looking at this, he's like, huh, we should do something like this in our country. And then it hit him. Wait a minute. Didn't we have something like very unique to our own culture? That, uh, that hula thing. And so when he went home, he gathered up all his advisors and he said, hey, how do you do that hula? Uh, I don't know. That was outlawed a long time ago. Well, well, go out and put out the call and see what you can find. I, I want to know about that hula. The advisors went out and they put out the call and they couldn't find it anywhere. And then suddenly when they said, where is the hula? How do we do it? A nation of children rose up who had now become adults and said, we know because our mothers taught us. That whole entire time when the government said it's illegal, don't talk about it, you're not allowed to do it, they spent time in the quiet of their fields, in their, in their homes, in their yards, in quiet, private places, and continued the history, the heritage, and the culture of their people through the hula, their story. There will come a day when the call will go out where is liberty and how do we do it and a nation of children will rise up and say we know because our mothers taught us that ladies is the power of a story so for this week i highly encourage you to check out the stories <laughs> that we have read um, in, in, the, uh, in the Cottage Reading Resource Guide, this article that I read some of those stories from is the story that unites us. There are several other stories in there. Um, the Faith of Columbus, I wish I had time to read that one to you. You just blow your mind. Um, the Gunpowder Story, I, I mean, just great stories. And we have, like I said, a whole library at Libraries of Hope where you can find these stories. I highly recommend, excuse me, recommend the Freedom Series. Um, there's also the Light and the Glory for Children and the Light and the Glory. I've mentioned those books before. And the, the Mara Pratt stories is, is on our website. 
and on our web store and that's a great place to start you can sit there and just read a half hour story at dinner and talk to your kids your grandkids talk with your husband why um you you have the ability as, as, a, as a couple to share these things within your sphere of influence everywhere that you can husbands with wives wives with husbands and share with the children share 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 these stories with the children it will change your life as well as theirs another um, really cute series that is uh, i highly recommend are the rush limbaugh books that he did for children and um, we have all five of them and i read them with all our children and they just love them and soon we will have the um, Where's Liberty book series coming out where you can share those as well. So aside from reading the stories, I encourage you to start building a family library of stories and great books. One of the things that makes Libraries of Hope so remarkable is that um, the Marlene Peterson, who put this whole entire Libraries of Hope together uh, 20 years ago, she felt um, very imp a strong impression that she needed to start collecting these books on internet archives. And so she did. She started pulling them off the website, all, all off the internet archives, and she started collecting them and went through them uh, meticulously and picked the best stories and gathered them together. Stories of George Washington, stories of Columbus, stories of Abraham Lincoln, all in the Freedom Series and several more. And then she started printing them. Well, the, the interesting thing is um, all the books started to disappear from the libraries, from um, all the, the thrift stores who started throwing them away in mass because of lead content. <laughs> Do you know how many books you have to consume to have any problems with lead? And so what happens when internet archives is down? Then these books no longer exist. Because of Marlene Peterson and Libraries of Hope, we are blessed with these books. And you could just start with Mara Pratt and build from there. Uh, it's good to have the stories, but you can go to Internet Archives. On, she has them linked through her website, but download them on paper. Put them in a notebook. Have them with you so that they're there when they're gone everywhere else. So that we don't lose the story of America and we can continue to share it. Next week's lesson is Capture the Sunshine for our presentation. I uh, have a couple of things in here I recommend. There's a story um, article in the Cosmian Resource Guide called We Are Not Poor. Definitely would love to have you read that. And then pick a movie that you can watch together as a family. Miracle at Midnight, great story about the people of wasn't Belgium, what was it? It was Denmark, I think it was the people of Denmark, where they rescued all the Jews in their entire country in one night. <laughs> it's just a beautiful story. Um, Pollyanna, of course, everybody loves the story of Pollyanna. Uh, Nanny McPhee, uh, my youngest son, that's like, he. That when you say what's the, the movie you, you hate the most, it's like that Nanny McPhee one. <laughs> Tells great stories. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. If you have not seen that movie, you need to see that movie. It's an old musical from like the 40s, 50s. Beautiful colors, costumes, great story. Awesome. So um, Hannah will be sending all of those out for next week. And I think I'm actually going to get to be home next week when we um, do our next week's presentation. So thank you all for coming. And Hannah, I'm taking it over to you. Hi.